Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. All right, we are live. Welcome back, everyone, to The Canadian Story. Today, I am joined by musician Danny Horovitz. Danny, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here, dude. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's our pleasure to have you, man. I'm looking forward to this episode because I love talking music with people. So this is really exciting for me. Um, Danny, why don't you just go ahead and let all of the listeners know who you are, what you're all about, and what you're doing. Yeah, so my name is Danny Horvitz. As as you said, I'm a singer-songwriter from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, I've been uh, playing music, playing the guitar since I was a teenager, and only in the last couple of years since the pandemic have been actually recording my songs. Uh, and I've been putting out music over the last year or two uh, online and uh, really amping up the number of shows that I've been playing over the last couple of years, going from you know, open mics to doing concerts. And I love music. I love storytelling. It's been a part of my life forever. And uh, since I'm in some ways really old to doing it, in some ways really new to doing it, I kind of thought it'd be really awesome to have a chat with you about what it's like to be a singer-songwriter in Canada in today. It's kind of a best of times, worst of times, and maybe also use it as a plug for any of your listeners who have never heard of me and are interested to check me out on social media or, or better yet, Spotify. Yeah. So sweet. So why don't we start from the bottom? What kind of music do you make? I make what you'd call singer songwriter music, traditional stories, melodies, harmonies, uh, choruses, verses, bridges, uh, stories about love, about loss, about, about life. Uh, and I, I try to make them songs that you can whistle. And I do that because I want primarily to entertain myself. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you can't do it for yourself, why are you doing it? Right. Um, so what was it that kickstarted your journey? So you've, you started, like, you've been playing guitar, obviously, I guess for a long time. Um, but what made you decide when the pandemic hit to to take the the production of your music a little bit more seriously? What what was the catalyst for that decision? It was something that had been building up for a number of years. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd play shows around town and uh, I'd be encouraged by people to show or by friends to go and finally go out and record it. And I didn't really know much about the recording process. But during the pandemic, I got a bit of a home studio just to get demos going, you know, a good mic, a, a MacBook Pro, the right equipment. And uh, and as it happened, I, I happened to be outdoors at a park one day at a hang and a friend of a friend who was in the music business, uh, we, were, we were chatting and he's like, why don't you just send me some of your demos? Let me take a look at them. I did, or listen to them rather, I did. And he passed them along to one of his friends who is the house manager uh, and a sound engineer at a studio called Dreamhouse Studios, and kind of like just sort of like gave me that extra nudge to end up doing it. Uh, and sometimes you need that. So it yeah. was I was on the it was on the list of things to do, and it's one of those yeah I'll get around to it one day, and then one day never comes. Yeah, man. I like so as a studio owner, I recognize that we are in like the golden age of opportunity for singer songwriters like yourself to break into working on their own music. It is not expensive to do, especially if you already own a Mac computer. There's a program that comes with a Mac computer called GarageBand. And all you need to do is you need to get an audio interface, which you can get for, you know, as low as $200 likely to 250 and one microphone and 
you can start making your own music. The, the, the biggest curve ahead of you, if you choose to do that, is, is learning how to actually exist within the program and, and put all of the tracks together. But there is a slew of YouTube tutorials that can walk you through all of that. And it's, it's such an exciting time for music, in a sense, because the barrier to entry is so low to, to get into, into production of music and recording your own stuff. You no longer have to, much to my chagrin, as a, as a studio owner, you no longer have to go to a studio and pay an engineer um, to record your music. You can literally spend a few hundred dollars, sit down in your apartment in Toronto and make a record. And it is literally that easy. Um, so did you, do, did you do any of that yourself? Did you sit down and learn how to record your own music? Uh, you were talking about doing demos. Um, how far did you get with those demos before you went to a, a studio to actually track your stuff? I mean, they were, they were pretty basic demos. It's, you know, me with my acoustic guitar and maybe I'd add an AI drum and uh, maybe I have a, a MIDI keyboard. So I'd use that for bass and substitute for all the instruments, a real skeleton stuff. But let me just push back on that because you're right. It's a golden age to record at home. But unless you're like Billie Eilish and Phineas, who probably has, you know, a million hours of experience under his belt and knows everything that he needs to, to be basically a professional sound engineer at home, most people can't do that. It is a real skill set. It is a real trade to be a proper sound engineer, let alone a producer, let alone a mixer or a master. And I I do know for myself, for sure, there's no question that the demos are incredibly bare bones and the real magic happens in the studio. But I've also heard various uh, independent artists now, you know, through my journey, and you can tell who's really professional and who's got that professional backing behind them and who doesn't. So if you are thinking about recording, I would say getting into a studio and getting in with professionals is the way to go, not only for the reasons I said, but also there's a real magic to that collaboration. Um, I don't think that answered the question, but just when I heard you say it was a golden era for people to record at home, I thought, yes, it is. But also that's not the way to put music out on Spotify if you're serious about making the best version of your music. Yeah, absolutely. You're not wrong. And you're, I, I'm glad you brought up the idea of collaboration. Um, a mistake I see so many young artists make all the time is that they hold on to their, and I don't mean to sound demeaning, but they hold on to their, their little piece of art so, so strongly because it's special to them. And they're unwilling to hear outside perspective on what make, what might make their art better. And as, as a producer, a, a studio owner and a music producer, that is my job to take uh, the inception of something beautiful and shave off the rough edges and and finish finish the piece in a more cohesive and a more um like a, a, a clear it just just to bring it from where it started to a cleaner finish and sometimes you run into, run into to young artists who have a real problem with the idea of collaboration within the studio with with the idea of having new ideas about their music um is that something that you have struggled with or uh, like, what was that collaboration like when you went into the studio? What was that experience for you? I loved it from the get-go, from the moment I went in there. That was uh, the the best part of all of it and why I want to keep going back and back, even if the music doesn't get heard by people, although I hope it does, is I love the the process. There is this idea, okay, that there is... Uh, that the author of a work of art is the is the is the viewer is the reader is the listener not necessarily the person who wrote it. There's this old Greek idea: "Oh, muse, breathe into me." So I don't know where the ideas come from. Yes, it is my name on it, uh, and and yes, at the end of the day, they're choosing to work with me because they like the songs that I've written, and presumably that means that most of the decisions I make, they're going to agree to be 
final. Um, but unless it's something like the specific lyrics and story that I'm trying to tell, for the most part, I don't want to exercise that veto. These are people who know what they're doing. They're, they've dedicated their lives to engineering or playing music. And I want to hear their perspective. And I think my songs in some ways are better off for that. Um, on my album that just came out, there's a song free tonight and free tonight is an old song I wrote. And it's basically now the best version of the song I always had in my mind. Um, but there's another song called uh, this side of the looking glass, which I wrote on the piano. When we got into the studio, they completely altered it and said, let's just like make it very bare bones for the first, like, 30 seconds and then change it up and becomes this warm group band sound completely different than what I thought the song was going to be. And now I've had some people say to me, Oh, it's my favorite song on, on the album. And it's, it's completely different than what I, I thought it would be. And yet it's still the same story. It's still the same sound. And along the way, having those discussions, testing things out with, with the musicians, trying it out. I mean, I'm, I'm an indie music, you know, an indie singer songwriter that I don't have time to just waste in a studio for a month, but to take the extra 10 minutes and hear something out. I mean, that's, that's great to talk about it, to get people who I respect on my side by listening to them is great. And also they know what they're doing. That's so I, I loved it. I loved it from, uh, from the first moment. And it's something I continue to love now that I'm getting more and more experienced at it. Uh, and, uh, and I think I'm more um, able to say what I can hear in my mind when I make the demos, that's also a reflection of the fact, having worked with these musicians, I'm a bit more conscious of what's possible in a studio. Too. So if I didn't leave myself open to that, I don't think I'd be growing as an artist. That is absolutely a key point that I want to pull back into this idea that the barrier to entry is low. Um, while you might not be an experienced or qualified sound engineer or mixer, your ability to start with demos and take those, keeping in mind, it was those demos that really sparked the interest of the studio to say, hey, like this is this is a collaboration that we could really make awesome. It was it was your ability to get in and get those demos done that started that process. Then you go into the studio and you work with people who do that for a living, right? And yeah. you glean information off of those people, especially if you're open-minded and willing to collaborate, you can learn so much. And what that does is that turns around then and involves or uh it it changes how you do the next demo, right? And that is such that is like that is growth and that is such an exciting process for 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 musicians who are new at something like this every time like if you get the opportunity to go to a studio every time you should be going to that studio and you should really be tuning into what's happening not just with like the arrangement of your song but hey how did you get that sound hey that guitar sounds amazing what did you do what microphone are you using on that vocal? Like what, what, why, why that one? What, like, what's your thought process? And maybe it's, you know, depending on the level of the studio, maybe it's a $10,000 microphone that you'll never own, but maybe you might find out why that type of microphone was choosing chosen. And there's a cheaper version that you might want to get. I always encourage people to dive in and involve themselves as much in the process, because one of the problems I think with the industry right now is we've built this We've built this infrastructure where it is incredibly difficult to stay current enough to be relevant. The speed at which musicians are expected to publish music is astonishing. And so the more skill that you can pick up as a musician in the process of creating those recordings, the more equipped you're going to be to, an exist, to exist in an industry that ties your hands to, to, you know, 
to the work wheel of like getting that content out, getting that content out, getting that content out. So I, I love that you went into that studio and, uh, and you learned a bunch of stuff from those guys and it's informing how you do your demos. Um, tell me more about that studio process though. So you just put out a record. How long ago did you put it out? What's it called? And like, give me the story of recording it. What did you learn? So <clears throat> the album's called Three Times, uh, named after the Three Times Cafe here in Toronto, where I, I played a show a couple of years ago and just had a great, great night. And I thought it was a great title for a song. I put out the album in April. Now, prior to that, I put out, it's got 10 songs on it. And prior to that, I put out five singles and then released it to get six releases. And I'll, and I'll go into why that was. But let me go all the way back to the start and say that, and this is true for anybody who even wants to record at home. Get into a studio and find a real drummer. And if you're not a bassist, a real bassist and get that backbone because it defines the sound that you're going to have the entire way through. And if you're using an AI drummer, it has limitations. If you're an EDM producer doing electronic dance music, totally different world. But if you're making rock music or, or pop music or folk music, you, you need to have that, that backbone. So the first thing that we did when we got into the, to the uh, studio was my engineer and producer, an amazing guy named Calvin Hartwick at uh, Dreamhouse Studios. Shout out to Dreamhouse and Calvin. He brought in um, two, two key people, Sean Royal, who is an incredible musician from a band called Shade and also his own projects. He plays everything and he plays it exceptionally. And a drummer named John Foster, who's this, this exceptional studio drummer. And I wouldn't have, part of the reason I, it took so long to get in to the studio is I didn't know musicians. But of course, dummy, I could have just called the studio and said, do you know anybody who are session musicians. So the first thing we did was, and basically breakneck speed over a weekend, recorded the bass and drums for all of these, all of these tracks. And that's me basically just sitting there listening, watching kind of the magic happening and opining very minimally because I'm interested in their takes and I'm, and they've already practiced and they, ha they have their own vision of it in my mind. Um, Calvin's also great to be there and make sure that the sounds that are coming through are right. And occasionally we use a click track. Um, I think on free times, we mostly did a click track. And on the next set of songs, which I'm releasing now, we, we got off the, the click track. Um, and for anybody who's listening, a click track just literally keeps you on pace. It's, uh, uh, it, it keeps you to the beat, which, which is effective. And if you go off the click track, the song will go faster and slower. Although with a good drummer, you may not really notice that that's happening. So those are the two days for bass and drums. Then we spend uh, uh, another five let's say days in the studio with, with Sean and myself doing um, instruments. Now, because I'm not <clears throat> a great musician, uh, Sean did most of that. He did the bass, he did the guitar, he did <laughs> the, the keys, the accordions. He was amazing. And I came in and I basically did the non-drum percussion instruments, the, the cowbell, the woodblock, uh, you know, the, the, the egg shaker. And if you're wondering, well, Danny, you wrote these songs, should you be able to play them? The answer is maybe, but probably not. I'm not a professional musician. And part of the humility of going in there into a collaboration effort is saying, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What is my ultimate goal, which is to put the best versions of these songs out there? Let me give up some of that control. And this is where I'll have conversations with, with Sean and he'll give me his ideas and I'll give him my ideas and say, look, this is what I'm hearing in my head. Can you do this? And then he'll do that or his version of that. And I'll say, oh, I like that. Or I don't like that. Can you change that? And he's just an, an incredibly adaptive, responsive person with with his own ideas and who's good at, at, at listening to, uh, to my ideas. So that takes about five other days in the studio. So now you've got the bones of a song and all along just my scratch track vocals that I've recorded. Then over the course of a month or two, going in every couple of nights to record vocals, I would record. And this is actually, again, something for anyone even recording at home. 
You want to be singing your vocals, warming your voice up, getting the kind of performance that you want. Once you have that performance right, then you do what's called doubles, which is a key moment in the songs. You'll add a second and third layer of your voice. And if you really pay attention to, to music, you'll hear a bit of a lift in the vocals at certain songs. And Zach, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for anyone who's listening, what that is, is they've recorded the same kind of performance with the same timing as their original vocals. And it gives the song a bit of a, a bit of a lift. And then of course, if, if the song calls for harmonies, which in the case of my music, it almost always does, then you'll record harmonies. And when you're happy with the harmonies, you'll do doubles uh, of, of those harmonies. Then, then you've got the song. Um, in the case of the new songs that we've recorded uh, that are coming out, we added strings, violins and cellos uh, with an amazing guy named Mike Tampa to some of the songs. So we spent another day doing that on three of the songs. And, uh, and then with all of the pieces in place, we send it off to be mixed. I'm lucky because my engineer producer is also a mixer. He mixed all the songs on the first album. And then, uh, and then Calvin, when we sent them to me, I would make some comments on the mixing uh, and we'd go back and forth a little bit. But for the most part, you know, he caught the vibe. He was in the room. Then we would send it off to be mastered. I used a great mastering uh, a company called Lacquer Channel in Toronto with a guy named Phil Dimitro. And I'm praising all these people because I think that they're really terrific and they, they honored the work so well. And that's the recording process. And then I can move on if you, if, unless you have questions and want to talk about that, any aspect of it, I'm happy no, to. And then no, I can no, no. Keep, how, keep how on going, it. man. Keep okay. on going. <laughs> and I, and I, and, and if it's not clear, the joy of this process, which lasts months and every step along the way, they're sending me, you know, parts of the song. Here's just it with the bass and the drums and the, and the scratch vocals. And here's once the instrumentation is, I get to hear the song build up. And it's this beautiful journey that I get to like be an active participant in um, and, and a, and a witness too which in its own way is like a metaphor for how you, you know, you live your life. Right. And that's what mm. uh, part of what makes music so great is, is that you, you, you get so much out of it. Um, I worked with an album artist to, to think about the, uh, the visuals for this album. I, I thought about it earlier. Who, how do I get this to happen? I found a guy, I just Googled and I found this guy, Michael Rycraft, who has unfortunately since passed away, but he was a sort of legendary Juno award-winning album artist and uh, what we had decided on was basically simple visuals, go to a photographer, get some really good photography taken, and then choose the best ones, put a bit of writing on it. He, saw, he thought, well, it's your debut album. They want to see your face. So most of the singles should have your face or body on it. And then the, the album cover should be like a really good representation of, of the vibe you want to catch. And if you look at the album now, you go on Spotify, you'll see it's this terrific picture of me taken by this extraordinary photographer named Denise Grant. Um, she's one of Canada's you know, best um, best headshot photographer. She works with a lot of uh, actors and also musicians. And, uh, and I was lucky to work with her. And then Michael saw those pictures. We went back and forth on what some of the pictures were, talked about the music. Mostly I, I gave my discretion to him because he's so experienced. And now I have the visuals in place. And uh, I'm really happy with that, with that cover for free times. I think it's warm. I think it's inviting. I think it captures the kind of vibe that I'm going for, even though it's essentially just a picture of me smiling, you know, with my name. Um, now I've got everything in place. Now I have to get it out there. And there's a number of companies talk about best of times to make it easy to get music out to the public. And I know we're gonna talk about the struggles and, and the pains, but right now everything is really easy to do and get the product that you want and the product to the market. I use the company called DistroKid. It's one of the big, the big three, DistroKid, CD Baby, and TuneCore. 
very simple process to use for anyone out there. You log, you know, you sign up, you pay $20 a year or something like that. And you have the ability to upload as many songs as you, as, as you want. If you haven't done proper mastering, they'll, they'll, you know, charge you a little bit more and they'll do the mastering for you on their end. I recommend going through a proper Yeah, don't do that. As, as someone who does mastering, don't do that. Don't, don't yeah, leave yeah. it to Spotify to master your stuff. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and same we talked about it for sound engineering. Same thing with all that stuff. If you think you can mix, you probably can't. If you think you can master, you probably can't. These are, these are skills that people spend many, many, I don't know how many hours it took you to like, to, to, to become like an expert, but I, it, it is clear when something is mixed well and mastered well. Honestly, I like, yeah. I would probably label it as countless. The way I describe yeah. it to people is that in the way someone might spend years or even decades of their life learning to play the guitar. I've spent years and almost two decades of my life learning to play Pro Tools. And Pro Tools is the is the program that I use to record music. And in, in the same way that a musician masters their craft through hours and hours and hours uh, of, of play, that is what I have done with, with what I bring to the table in, in the collaboration of music. So yeah, um, I, I definitely would say um, if you have the ability, outsource some of those some of those decisions and and you know especially in mixing and mastering to someone who does that for a living. And and it's like and it's like so many other things. You know, people think that because they're they're literate, they can write a children's book. That's a shockingly hard thing to 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 write. And, and it, it's you have to work on the craft of writing to be a good writer. You have to work on the skill of of engineering, of mixing and mastering to be a good and it takes it takes dedication and to your point, years and years and years. So um no no disrespect to DistroKid. They're offering a service that some people might use and want. Um, but if you're thinking about recording your music, go through go through the professionals. You, you'll just you won't miss the money in 10 years, uh, but you'll be glad that the product is exactly what you want it to be. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I upload everything to DistroKid. They got a few nifty little things like uh, you can upload the lyrics. So I uploaded that. And then you can time the lyrics. So if someone wants to listen to my song on Apple Music or Spotify, as a song plays, you have the option to have the lyrics scroll. That's really cool. Um, you got to get- I didn't know they did um, that. That's neat. Yeah. Uh, you got you got to make sure that the pictures are high def, but not too high def, ironically. I believe 3000 by 3000 is what hits that sweet spot where it looks professional. And now if you if you, when you go on, on my Spotify, you know, it's as- it's as good as you can expect it. And, that, and that's what I want because I want people who don't know that I'm an indie artist, but have my music pop up, have them listen to it. Be like, wow, this sounds great. Look at the photo, look at my profile. I think this, this guy is, is legit. Save that photo, click that, that like button and share it with your friends. You're not going to do that if you don't like the music, certainly. And you might not do that if you like the music, but you're like, ah, these, this is not a professional. I can't, I can't justify having a conversation with this, with people I know and I respect. So you want to, you want to be as professional as you possibly can be in the way that you make your music and the way that you put out your music. And so that's just, that's just the music side of it. Okay. Now there's the, now there's the actual promotion side of it. Um, and can I just pause for a moment and talk about grants before I get to the promotion side of it? There's, yeah, please do. Because grants I, that, is a massive part of the industry that not enough musicians know about. And all this stuff stack builds up over, over time. So even as I'm saying it, I'm almost like amazed that I, that I remember it and, and, and can, can talk intelligently about this. So there's a lot of grants around town. I only applied for one grant on my first album. And I think it's the first grant that most artists apply for. It's called the Can we, artist can we, sorry, can I pause you yeah. there? Can we start right at the beginning? What yeah. is like, what is a grant and how does it, how does it apply to music? That's a great question. I am assuming people know a grant is essentially a gift from an institution for the most part, it's the government or an arm's length government institution. Uh, there is money set aside 
tax dollars that go through various organizations for various purposes. There's education grants, um, there's artists grants, and a subset of artist grant is music grants. And so you send in an application to an organization that has been given the authority to distribute these funds. And they have various ways determining it. Most of them are based on subjective criteria because we're talking about the arts, but it means that you have to write an application that makes your case. Hey, I'm new. This is why my project is deserving of, of money. Uh, and uh, for musicians, especially if you're doing music full time, if you don't have a, a, a day job, although in Canada, most musicians do work nine to five and, and I do. And it's, uh, it's the counterpart to living in a world where uh, it's easy to make the music. It's hard to make a living off the music, but, but in, in any case, every bit helps with the funding. Um, does that give a good overview of what a grant is and why yeah. we need it? Yeah. So basically what it is, is that you can go to, it's, it is, he's right. It's, it's usually government, but, um, sometimes it's provincial government. Sometimes it's federal government. Sometimes it's municipal government. Um, so my studios in Cambridge, there's a, there's a, a Waterloo arts fund, which is a municipal, uh, grant system that, um, a lot of my clients get, get money from to, to come make their art. Um, so that's just one example. Um, and I would say, uh, if you want to do this, if you want to make music, one of the first things you should get good at is writing grants or getting in touch with people. Again, we, we were talking about outsourcing, getting in touch with people who are good at writing grants. I have a number of grant writers in my pocket that, uh, if people are looking for help with it, they can actually work with the artist to help them craft a grant that is likely to do well with the grant committee. So um, definitely something that should be looked into if you're a young musician. Anyway, continue. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. <laughs> and nobody likes writing grants. But if you can't take the time to write a grant, then you're probably not the kind of person who's taking the time to write a good, a good song. You know, you know, everything takes takes time. Um, and even if you, you get help, and I I applaud you for thinking that through and, and having people to support that. It's a, it, it's a process. Um, and if you don't want to apply for a grant, that's fine too. But, but we're lucky that in Canada, we have a system that allows artists to do that. So there's an organization called Factor, and that's probably the main one that musicians know. They offer a, 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 a small but, uh, but diverse variety of grants for, uh, for writing, for performing, for touring, the first grant that most artists get, and it's the one that I applied for for my first album, is called the Artist Development Grant. And basically it gives um, uh, $2,000 to cover expenses. And it's like an intro grant. And um, and I was lucky I got it. They, I'm not sure how many they give out every year. It's not an infinite number, but it's, uh, uh, but it's you know, a few, I guess a few dozen or, or a few hundred. And, uh, and, and it helps cover the bills. And so go to factor.ca. Uh, there's a few other ones. Hang on, let me, I think on my phone, I, I wrote a couple uh, in my notes because I never be talking about it. That's smart. You sound very organized. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, I try to be. There's the the Canada Arts Council um, is the other one that I, that I wrote down. Um, and there's a few other ones. If you're in Toronto, there's one specific to Toronto. There's one for Ontario. I'm sure all the provinces have them. Um, start with Factor. Talk to your musician friends. Google music grants or, or artist grants, and you'll you'll see uh, you'll see what comes up. But it's a, it's a, it's an important part if if uh, if you're interested in getting some assistance. And you might not be. You might be in a position to pay for your own. Um, you've saved up money. That's great. Then you don't have to worry about 
uh, putting credits at the end of your album, putting credits at the end of the music video. The thing that I that, that, that I did have to do when I received the grant, it only made a very small dent in what was ultimately the cost of the album. But when I made a music video or a lyric video, I should say, put a little note about factor at the, at the end on the album, uh, put a little note about factor at the end. These are small things, but they show that you are um, are, are acknowledging the uh, the input that you received from uh, from these institutions. And especially because they are government, it's important. If we're talking about Canada and a Canadian podcast, Canada has over many decades spent a lot of time thinking through and building up the arts community so that we have a culture that we can stand on our own, independent from the two behemoths uh, on, on either side of us, England and America, at least in, in English speaking Canada, so that our culture doesn't get drowned out by these other two, uh, other, other two cultures. And it is a, uh, uh, a process that, that continues and persists to this day. And, you know, uh, we, we can talk about that later on, uh, about how that manifests itself. Um, so now the music is out there and you want to talk about promotion. This is where it gets tough. Everything else is a joy. Knowing that I was thinking about recording this, knowing that I was at home doing home demos, um, I modified my Instagram account, which hadn't been used very often, uh, to be just about music. And it had been a couple of years since I posted anything personal on Facebook because I was getting tired of social media. I didn't have anything to promote. I didn't want to be someone who just like, looks, look at this cupcake I'm eating or anything like that. But I realized that I could set up a, a Facebook page, Instagram account, TikTok account, and make it just for promotional tools. Um, it kind of scratches the itch of being addicted to social media, but it also serves a purpose of, of furthering the art. And so I spent a lot of time going into the social media communities, liking people's posts, commenting on them, messaging them, talking with them, uh, connecting with them, and slowly, slowly, slowly building up a presence on social media. And the reason why I did that, and the reason why like my eyes would start bleeding, sending messages and getting to know people is because if they know me, then one day when I say, hey, I've got a Spotify account or an Apple Music account, would you be interested in following me there? Some percentage of them, let's say 10%, 5 to 10%, will follow me. And if I don't do that, nobody will. And so what ends up happening is the month leading or two months leading up to my initial release, as I know that it's on pre-release, I can message people and say, here's my Spotify artist account. It's new. Do you mind following me? I'm totally new. And, a, and like I said, a percentage of them did. And so right off the bat, I had a few hundred followers to get kickstarted. And that's, that's, that's kind of important because how are you going to get followers, especially in a pandemic era, you know, um, especially when you've got a name that's hard to spell uh, if you're on stage, D-A-N-Y, that's one N and a Y, H-O-R-O-V, that's a V, not a W, I-T-Z, you know, like all that, people aren't going to remember that. But if they have you already on social media, then they'll follow you if you message them, or maybe they, they'll forget that message, but they'll see a post later. You've got the link in your bio and you go. And with those few hundred first followers, then you put out a song, then a few other people on social media who didn't get that message, they see you post about it, they listen to it. Some of them follow you. Now Spotify has algorithms, right? So, uh, and I talk mostly about Spotify, but it's probably true of all of the streams. When people like your music, there's a little heart button. When they follow you, there's a little follow button. Then the algorithm clicks in. People like these people who like your music will receive your music in the radio. Very, very small at first. At first, it's nobody. Once I got to something like a thousand uh, monthly listeners or close to that, I started noticing I would get an increase of like one or two followers a day. And I had no idea where they were coming from. And I realized when I look at where the streams are coming from, it's being played on the radio. 
And so if you can get the, the Spotify radio, Apple Music radio, meaning the, um, the infinite shuffle that they set up for you when you start playing a song, and then some percentage of those people like the music enough to follow me to like the song. And hopefully where I'm at now is just a little bit above that now is, is it will eventually snowball and it becomes exponential. And so that's why going back to my earlier point, I've got five singles in the album because you want to maximize releases in a system like that. You don't want to cheat people who want to listen to your full album out of the experience of listening to the full album. Although I would not begrudge anybody who took all 10 or 12 of the songs they recorded and put them out one a month for a full year. That would be totally legit. But if you're vain like me and you want to put out an album, at the very least, take a certain number of those songs. I chose half of the songs, put them out a single so you get five you know, months or five, six week periods of releases, whatever, however long you want to separate them out. Then that sixth release is the album itself. And every time you go up, you get another chance to get a little bit of push, another chance to pitch to the editorial playlist on Spotify, another bit of a breathing room to pitch your music to playlists. So you don't have all your music coming out at once. Um, another chance to catch the people's algorithm and their release radars. And that will help snowball. I read somewhere that it takes something like 34 songs or something like that for for someone to like catch a break uh, in streaming. And that's a lot of songs you have to release. Don't release them all at once. Give yourself the best opportunity. Build that, build a strategy slowly, slowly, slowly. Where I'm at now is this album came out in April. I had already finished recording 10 songs. Uh, we, we, we're now mixing them or we just mixed one uh, set of four songs for an EP and we're mixing another set of six songs. I'm going to release those 10 songs over the next year. I just released last Friday the first of those 10 songs, Downward Into the Dark. I got another one coming out in October. We'll take a break uh, for the Christmas season. Go back in January to finish that EP. And then so even though it's all finished and even though I'm really excited to get it out there, I want to honor the process. I'm not doing any myself any favor in the in the long run if I release it all at once. So it's a beautiful, lovely process. You got to enjoy it. And when you come to the end of it, you got to be patient about how you think about getting it out there. If what you're interested in doing is growing is growing a following, which which I am. Yeah, there's a couple things I want to hit in there because there's a lot of information that you, that you just <laughs> yeah. kind of like vomited out. Well, there's, a, there's a couple there's a couple key points I, I would like you to go over a little bit in there. Yeah. Um, the first of which being, you got to think about the algorithm. And it's funny that you mentioned that you don't really like social media. I also don't like social media. I just I, I find it obnoxious. But in the age that we live in it is absolutely necessary, in my opinion, um, to figure out how to engage with your audience on social media and as, as an artist on these streaming platforms. You talk about staggering out your releases, that you do that because the algorithm on Spotify rewards you to have more releases, right? So that's the first thing that I want to draw out. As, as someone who is releasing art, it is very important to think about algorithmically, and you can read about this, like you can Google it and read about this, what is being rewarded in the in the in all the different algorithms. You want to be thinking about that because it doesn't matter how good your music is, if no one finds it, it doesn't do anything, right? No. The if you build it, they will come doesn't exist. You have to build it and then bring everyone in. <laughs> yeah, and you, you 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 have to hustle. You have to hustle. And frankly, it might even be more work to do the promotion side of it than it is to do the curation of the music itself. Um, but if you're serious about wanting to grow you, uh, yourself as an artist, you absolutely have to be thinking about that stuff. Can, can um, I throw in one thing and say that that outreach I did continues. I'm still, 
I mean, it's easier now that the basketball season is over. And so I've got less to distract me in the evening, but even when <laughs> you know, I watch a game or I've got listening to music, um, I'm on Spotify, but also TikTok. I'll send messages to people who, you know, in TikTok, it's easy to get, it's really easy to get followers because they, your, your videos are just sent to like so many people who start following you and you can message any one of them and you can say, Hey, do you mind following me? And I know that the internet is a dark and horrible place for so many reasons, but people who are interested in music, I'm finding a really high percentage of them at least want to have a discussion and a dialogue with me. And then some percentage of them will continue to follow me. And so now it's a combination of me doing the practice of reaching to people, talking to them. Also, some of them are musicians of their own and I'll listen to their music too. And we'll go back and forth. And some of it is the algorithmic stuff. So it's like a whole process. You're right. It is so much more work than actually making music. For example, you are on this podcast right now because at some point, somehow, we got connected on Instagram. Whether it was you messaging me or me messaging you, I don't actually remember which it was, but one of us was just dropping in there, trying to work that algorithm by reaching out to the people in the network, and we got connected, and here you are, right? Yeah, exactly. You have to drive those connections. Um, Shoot, I know that there was something else in all... Talk about playlist pitching because that's another important part about releasing your music and it changes how you release your music. So what is playlist pitching? How do you go about doing it? And what do musicians need to know about it? There are three types of playlists. Uh, Editorial playlists, algorithmic playlists, and personal playlists. I'll start with editorial playlists. And this is specific to Spotify. I have not been lucky enough to be on a on a Spotify editorial playlist. It is the holy grail of playlists because it's where the hundreds of thousands of people follow uh, or millions of people follow. They're the they're the big ones. Every time you go, uh, you, you can you can every time you've got a song up for pre-release, you can pitch it to Spotify for an editorial playlist. And you can do one at a time. That's another reason to release slowly. Is I just released a song, didn't make it to any editorial playlist. I currently have a pitch in the process. And if it catches the next one, when that one's done, my next song will be up for um, for a pitch. You have to write in for Spotify in 500 words or less, a little bit about your song. And you have to give them enough time to listen to it and make a decision. It used to be two weeks. Then so many people were on Spotify, it was four weeks. I think now I give at least six weeks or seven weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was under the impression we were still sitting at about four, but you you shoot for you know six to seven weeks. I just don't want to give any reason for someone to say no. It's so easy for them to say no with tens and tens of thousands of songs being pitched. And so I already, just to cl- just to clarify, that means that Danny has his song finished, recorded, mixed, mastered, uploaded to. Sorry, is it DistroKid that you're using? You're using DistroKid. Yeah, uploaded DistroKid. to DistroKid and sent off to Spotify six to seven weeks in advance of that song's release. That's yeah, an important so, piece to, to, to note because it changes your timeline for, for the curation of your, of your music. Yeah. I, I, uh, with downward into the dark, I think it was, uh, five weeks. Cause, uh, uh, but yeah, it was shortly after Canada day that we had the, uh, the songs ready to go. And I pitched it to August 19th. Um, uh, and then August 19th, the next release is October 7th. So that's seven weeks. What's lucky about not being able to release music like basically in November, uh, you know, I mean, November, I, I, I have another collab coming out. So I'm going to give some space for that with another artist I'm working with. And then December, kind of all Christmassy songs, right? In November. So you give that break. Maybe end of January, I'll release the other two songs as part of the EP. But you, yeah, you need to think about that. You need to be patient about that too. Uh, and again, I haven't made any Spotify editorial playlists 
but I'm still pitching every time. You say, this is what the song is about. You might say who's involved in it. You might say, you know, what the release strategy is. You only have so much words. I would, I would encourage every single person to, to do that. It's like a free lottery ticket. Uh, just like I encourage everybody every month to, uh, to submit themselves for Instagram verification, but don't count on it. However, there are two things that you have greater control over. Spotify algorithmic playlists and personal playlists. Let's talk about the algorithmic playlist for a moment. This is the stuff that you and I were just talking about. It. You catch these algorithmic playlists by getting people to follow you, by getting them to like your songs. If they follow you, it will show up on uh, their release radar. If they've pre-saved your song, it will also probably show up on the release radar. Um, and if they like the song and if they follow you, people with similar tastes may be fed the song on their release radar or as part of their Spotify radio, I think. I'm not intimately familiar with how that works. If someone from Spotify was here, they might make some corrections, but it's, it's generally something like that, right? The third thing that you have a great deal of control over is personal playlists. There's a huge amount of, of playlists that people make on their own. And there are things called submission gates that you can submit to. Some of them like Submit Hub, you pay money and you get credits and you use those credits to submit. The best one of them is called Daily Playlists and you can submit once a week to 25 playlists for free. And if you wanna submit more then you can pay money and get credits. But you can also take the connections that you've built on social media, some of the artists that you're working with have their own playlists as promotional tools, and they're looking for new music from artists to put on the playlist that they like, people who they like. If there are people that I know that are making music and putting it on playlists that are similar to mine, and I like them, I'm going to listen to that playlist. I'm going to ask to be put on it. They might like me, put my music on it. Then I'm going to share their playlist. It's going to have my music and their music on it. And it becomes this virtuous circle that our followers, everybody on this playlist, kind of if we're all sharing the playlist, then we're all on it and we're all growing and building our, our, uh, our, our network. But it only works if you're willing to reach out to artists that you like, that you listen to, uh, uh, or whose names you see come up on the playlist searches and you know who they are. You do have to do that, that research, but that's the one that you have the most control over. It would be like asking your friend who likes your music to play, uh, to play the song on their playlist. Yeah. So what we're drawing out here is that releasing music is about a whole lot more than just making the music, right? So you mentioned, you know, you're not a full-time guy, full-time musician. You have a nine-to-five job. Uh, how do you go about setting aside time in your schedule uh, to do the work that needs to be done to promote your music? And how many hours a week do you th do you think you dedicate to that to to the craft of music? How do you fit it all in? I, th I think over the many years uh, that I've been alive, I've developed a skill for time management. You kind of, you know, it, it, that, that is, I think, something I'm, I'm good at. The, the music side of it, every day I'm on my guitar and I'm, I'm playing like an hour of music. If I've got a show I'm preparing for, I'm going to practice, you know, an hour and a half to two hours with, with the music I'm, I'm going to be playing on my guitar. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to be playing that music, practicing songs that I, that I, uh, that I, that I love, or... And this is where you write music, sit around, noodle around, words come to you, maybe working on a song. And that's the creative side of it. Um, while we're in the studio and, re and recording, I might be inspired to write some songs. But when I'm not, it's just me noodling around. On the promotion side of it, it's, it's all the space in between stuff. So uh, last night I put on uh, um, a movie called Red Notice, right? It's like, it's, a, it's okay, it's an action movie. I didn't have to pay 100% attention to it. So I'm on it and I'm also kind of, 
messaging some people on Spotify or Instagram. Um, the other night I was at home. I just put on a record, you know, and started scroll, scrolling through social, social media. I, I wouldn't say that I set aside time for that with the exception of uh, uh, every week I, um, I do go on daily plays. So I can remember myself. I have a little reminder in my calendar to submit those songs. Um, aside from that, it's the spaces in between things when you've got, when you got time, what I, what I could do and what I should do is be more structured, have like office hours. And maybe that's a, a goal for me so that I'm not bleeding time, but as it is, I think I'm fairly efficient with, with my time. And I would encourage people to use the space between activities. If you have, you know, 20 minutes or something, that's what I would say, go and, and submit or pitch or message people on, on social media. You know, you don't, people on social media, you don't have to get back to them immediately right away. I have my notifications turned off. So I'll send a message. They'll get back to me. It might take a day or two, but it might, it might be an hour later. They'll send me their links. I'll send the mine. Um, if I'm submitting to uh, playlists, I'll set aside 30 minutes, think strategically about, you know, the 150 character pitch I want to make and, uh, and, and, and put it in there. But it is it is a constant ongoing thing. I don't let it take over my time in the sense that I'm not going to cancel plans with, you know, with friends or family to, to do it. But, you know, there is more space than you think. If you have time to text message a friend, you, you have time to go out there and be on, you know, social media, engaging Man, people. That's, that's really great advice. Um, I'm looking at the clock. I know that you have to go in about six minutes because yes. you've got something else going on today. Um, so we need to wrap this up obviously, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to, uh, just leave whatever impression or advice, uh, you want to give to, to young musicians starting out. Um, what would, how would you go about, how would you go about starting and what are, what is the lowest hanging fruit to get yourself going? First of all, Zach, thanks for having me on. I love talking with you. And even though we didn't talk about, let's say Canada too much, it has been an awesome discussion and the time just flew. Uh, Dave Grohl says that if what you want to do is be in a band, get a bunch of friends, get a garage and play music. And that is the very best advice that I think holds true. If what you want to do is be a singer songwriter, get an instrument, learn some basic stuff and just play and just have fun. Noodle around, play the songs you like, get inspired, write something. Don't be afraid that your songs aren't going to be very good. Most songs that anybody writes aren't very good. Even, even I'm sure Paul McCartney, the greatest songwriter of all time, probably has like, for every song he writes, 10 songs, 20 songs that are, you know, that he, he doesn't want to see the light of day. He's the best. So just write songs, do what makes you happy. That's the very, very first thing. If what you want to do is record and what you want to do is get in a studio, the thing I wish someone told me years ago is you can actually cold call recording studios. You don't have to be with a label to get into a studio. Just call the studio ask to speak with the house manager or ask them if they have studio space, let them know you're a beginner. You've never done this before. Do they have anyone sound engineer, producer? Can they work with you, bring you in? I guarantee you. And Zach, you tell me those people love working with musicians and they'll give you all the help they can to get you into that studio and record the music. Absolutely. And I think if you can go to most studio websites. Like you can go to my website, skytrackstudios.com. There is a contact form on that website that goes to my email. It's very simple. It's your name. And then you write me a message. <laughs> and then that just gets the conversation going. It's it's low friction, right? If you want to get into a studio and you want to do some work, just go to a website, reach out and say, hey, this is my situation. I want to see if this is a good fit. How can I go about doing it? Yeah. I'd say that's the first thing. All that other stuff, distro kid, promotion, this, that, that's secondary. What you want to do is be a singer songwriter and put music out there. Assume you're not going to make any money off of it and then just make the music that you that you want to make. And then Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, Danny, thank you so much for being here. Uh, folks, please look below to the show notes because we're going to drop all of Danny's links, his Spotify, his Instagram, his Twitter, everything he's got. It's all going to be down there. Please go check him out. And uh, Danny, man, thanks for being here. This was fun. I uh, hope we get to chat again soon. And you're not too far from, I live in Woodstock. You live in Toronto. I, uh, I hope I get to, to get out to a show sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be great to chat with you again some other time. If, I'm sure there's a lot more to say on, on this topic. I'd, I'd be happy to come by anytime. Thank you again for having me. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, I had a great time. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cad Story. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great our country is.